you're listening to an episode of the Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life podcast with your host, Kim Olver. This is Kim, and welcome to the 122nd episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life. If you like today's episode, be sure to leave me a review wherever you listen to your podcasts and share with your friends on social media. Just don't forget to tag me at Olver International. Today, I'm excited to change topics from parenting to leadership. I'm thrilled to have my friend and colleague here to talk about a specific skill of leadership, and that's supervision. Pat is specifically qualified to talk about supervision, as I personally know she has been supervising counselors for many years through her teaching and administrative positions at Governor State University. Patricia A. Roby, EDD, LPC, CTRTC, is a full professor and chair in the Division of Psychology and Counseling at Governor State University. She is also a licensed professional counselor and a senior faculty member of the William Glasser Institute, U.S., and William Glasser International. Pat has authored and co-authored numerous articles and book chapters on applications of choice theory and reality therapy and is the lead editor of the book Contemporary Issues in Couples Counseling, a choice theory and reality therapy approach, which I was very honored to contribute a chapter to. Welcome, Pat, and thank you so much for agreeing to talk with us about a topic I know you're quite skilled in. Thanks, Kim. I appreciate the opportunity. So I have some questions here I'd like to ask you. Are you ready to dive right in? Let's go. All right. What would you say are some conditions that need to be in place to facilitate a successful self-evaluation? Primarily, like anything in life, the foundation of what we do is always based on having a good relationship with whoever we're working with. That doesn't mean that you have to be friends or something very intimate, but mutual respect, setting the stage for working together. For me, what that means is taking the time to get to know someone and then also to find out what it is that they're hoping to get from the relationship and what I'm hoping to get from the relationship so that we can always work toward that ultimate goal of win-win. So we both come away with what we're hoping to get. And in a leadership or supervisory role, one of the challenges is is that it's not just two of us who are invested in the supervision or the leadership, because what it is, is that you have systemic constraints, you have rules, you have regulations, you have guidelines, you have ethics, you have a lot of different things that come into play that you have to think about as you're navigating that relationship. That's right. Do the five basic needs come into play at all? Always. (laughs) As I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking about how people have all five basic needs. So needs for connection with others, needs for a sense of personal power or significance, needs for freedom. That means making choices, being able to have some autonomy having fun and way to have enjoyment in the relationship. And even at the most base level, you might say, is survival or safety. So having that sense of we're in this relationship together, I can trust you. And I think that's where the safety comes in. The idea of we trust each other to be able to speak frankly and do what needs to happen in order to move the relationship forward and to get the business done in a leadership model. I always keep that in mind. The more you practice these ideas, I think it becomes kind of natural because for me, I feel that I've really integrated those concepts into who I am as a human being. 
in every aspect, I try to think about how we can mutually get our needs met in relationship. And then also being respectful of the fact that some people have different need bases than others. Some people are more relationship oriented. Some people are especially outcome oriented. And so as a leader, for me, it's important not to impose what I think is the most important need, but to see what does the person that I'm working with, what is that need base that is motivating them in any moment? Nice. I also know that you've spoken about conditions of quality. Can you talk a little bit about that? Glasser wrote many things, but in particular, the idea of conditions for quality comes out of his work with schools. When you think about working in school systems, at many levels, there's leadership opportunities that work toward helping the system move forward. From a quality school perspective, conditions of quality start out, number one, creating that relationship that's conducive to whatever the job is at hand. So that's the first thing. The second thing that I think is really important and is kind of fun to actually play with in any kind of framework is knowing that what we want to do is be sure that whatever we're doing, we're asking somebody to do work that's useful and relevant to their outcome. That's motivation right there. I'll tell you a story. I remember when I was in high school and I took chemistry. I like chemistry. I didn't know what chemistry was going to do for me. It was just horrible. I ended up dropping chemistry. So I grow up and meanwhile, I'm learning about these concepts. And I went to a school one time and I asked the instructor, it was one of those parent meeting things. And I said, what do you do to help the students know how chemistry can be useful and relevant for them? And the instructor said, it's not my job to do that. They have to figure it out for themselves. And I thought, oh, okay. So I just let that go. But then I told that story when I went to teach about choice theory and lead management and quality schools to a school in Michigan. And one of the teachers, so this is the really the backside of this. One of the teachers said that what he always does is he takes things and he brings it to the real world for students. So for example, he teaches the chemical properties of toothpaste that help people get whiter teeth. That's useful. That's relevant. That brings it home. That's the second conditions for quality to be sure that whatever we're doing is useful and relevant for the person that we're working with and also for the system in which we're working. And then the third part is the element of having some self-evaluation in whatever we do. So I might have an idea about what I think is the great idea to move forward, but the person I'm working with might have another idea that is equally good. So we need to be able to talk about what do we see, how do we understand that, and have that self-evaluation piece from the other person so I know where they're coming from, but then also have concurrent evaluation, which means that because I have more experience in some cases, I can say, well, let's look at this. So there's an alternative direction that comes into play. So it's not just a self-evaluative process, it's concurrent. So the two of us working together to come to a decision about which way to move forward or how to act in a situation. That sounds like the magic that I've seen you work when you're working, supervising people. It's facilitating their self-evaluation, but not just blindly accepting whatever they say, but to try to help them shape it to look at some things that you may see or want them to see a little more clearly. That's some of the things that I wanted to actually talk about today. So what happens if you're working with someone who disagrees with your feedback? It depends on what my role is. Am I the decider? The way that I would work with this is, first of all, by front-end loading. 
When I have someone who comes in that I'm working with or supervising, the first thing that I want to do is to find out what is it that you hope to get from me in this relationship. And then if I'm working on behalf of a system, I say, this is what I want to get from you. This is how I have to operate. This is the systemic constraints. By finding out in the beginning what the person wants helps me then to know how, when we differ in opinion, to remind the person that this is what you said that you wanted. This is why I'm giving you this information. Let's look at this. Is what you want to do helping you get in that direction? Or do we need to do something else? And if we disagree, I can say, well, when you contracted with me, you said that this is what you wanted. And usually people want feedback. So you said this is what you wanted. Is this still what you want? And if so, I'm going to tell you what I see. And then let's talk about it. But it's having that front end set up about this is what the contract is between us that then holds that standard. And I can say, this is what you want. Do you still want it? And then that brings it right back to, yes, this is what I'm looking for. And it collapses the conflict because now I'm working for a win-win. This is what you wanted. This is what I want. Let's move in that direction. Can we agree that this is which way we can go? And then continue the conversation. So that leads me to a question about the discrimination model. I think it's Bernard's discrimination model. Mm-hmm. And, and you wear different hats or you assume different roles in that model. Sometimes you're teacher, sometimes you're counselor, sometimes you're consultant. Can you say a little more about how do you determine which role you're going to be in? Well, that's a developmental model. And I really like that model. And it depends on, so even just saying teacher, even if you're a leader, people are at different stages in their developmental process as an employee, as a student, as a colleague, whatever it is, in that relationship to think about, well, where is that person? So if somebody is new to a situation, I might spend more time as a teacher manager and give information. So you probably didn't know this. Let me tell you this, or let me show you an example. How does this match for you? And so it really is a more structured delivery kind of a method. Some people come in a little bit more sophisticated than others. We might also work from a consultation level, which is you come in, you want to talk to me about supervision. I ask what's going on. We talk about it collaboratively. I ask, what do you hope to get from me? Because that's important. What do you hope to get from me right now? And we can move in that direction. So now we're working more as partners in this process. The third position is what Bernard called a counselor. What's meant by that is that There are times in a situation where our own personal experiences, biases, whatever, come to the front of what we're doing. In that case, and if it's getting in the way or you're feeling something, you're having some sort of emotional response or whatever it is, that's an opportunity where somebody might go directly to the supervisee or the employee or whoever it is and ask, what's going on inside of you right now that's Mm -hmm. getting in the way of moving in the direction that you want to be going? That's the language that she uses, but I'd like to say that for myself, when you're in a management position, is that when I work from that position, I'm not really a counselor. I see myself as more of a coach, helping people to understand and guide them through that process, because my goal is not to counsel necessarily, but kind of using that model to go deeper into the experience of the person I'm working with and draw it out without getting into some information that's not relevant to the moment that we are in or the job as it's defined. So you talked about the developmental stage of the supervisee. What about the developmental stage of the supervisor? Does that come into play at all? I love the phrase lifelong learner. 
I don't ever want to be somebody who is done learning. Part of the reason that I stay engaged in teaching and managing and all the things that I do is because it's a reciprocal relationship. I'm definitely a more effective leader now than I was 10 years ago or five years ago, even even last week. Because the more that you work on things, the more that I self-evaluate, think about how did that work out? Who do I want to be? And then consulting with others like you. This is why we always need to have supervision from others to do a reality check because we're blind sometimes to our own areas that we could use to improve. That's a developmental model too. And, and how fun is that? One of the things that I learned, and this was a hard learning, to give up on the notion that I'm perfect. <laughs> I like that notion, but I was always butting my head against that wall of be perfect because it was impossible. What I've learned is to release that and know that that's an unattainable goal. And now I try to enjoy that process of being the learner so that I can consistently develop my own skills. And then that comes to how that relationship is very reciprocal. I'm learning from my employee, my supervisee, whoever it is, and giving in return. That's joyful and that's creative from my perspective. I love that. And I also love the relationship that you and I have because we both supervise and we are peer coaches for each other. Because not only do you come to me, but I also come to you. That reciprocal relationship is really healthy and fun to explore. I'm a big fan also of lifelong learning and recognizing that you don't know everything and someone else might just have that different perspective that gives you a way of looking at something that maybe you didn't see before. I really like that. And the trick is for me has been because it's very humbling to know how much I don't know. I had that immediate sense of dissonance when I recognize like, ah, how do I not know that? But then to recognize that there are a lot of things I do know that other people don't know, and everybody brings something different to the table. That's what makes it all so interesting. Coming back to supervising, this is why the conversation is so, because even though I say, have you thought about doing whatever it is, making a change in approach or whatever, here's what I'm thinking. It's important for me to listen to the person that I'm working with because they might have a brilliant idea I just didn't know about or hadn't thought about. And it's important to be able to give that space as long as it's not unethical or if I really feel very strongly that it's not going to turn out the way that person thinks it's going to, then I would advise otherwise. But at the end of the day, you can't control anybody. You could just give them information, which is another lesson that's hard learned sometimes. (laughs) I agree. I want to thank you for your time today. This has been wonderful. I would love to spend more time talking with you about supervision because I know you have some great techniques that you use with people that help bring out their best. That may be for another season. But I also wonder if you have anything you might like to add that we didn't already talk about. I do. It just occurred to me when I was just talking. It directly relates to what you're teaching now, the idea of mental freedom and how those ideas I've started to incorporate in my work, because I really think that they're very helpful to people to be able to accept those guiding philosophies, I guess, of mental freedom. And so I'm going to put you on the spot now. Let's see if I can test you and see if you remember all of them yourself. But there are (laughs) there are five or six tenets, right, of mental freedom. There are six. Six. That uh. Could you just say, if you have the time, can you just say what they are? And then I'll tell you what I've been thinking about as far as how they relate to supervision. 
The first one is about the difference between what you're responsible for and what you aren't responsible for. So often we're taking responsibility for other people's things and we're not taking responsibility for the things we are responsible for. Things like getting our needs met and our own happiness and the things that we do. And then the second one is the unconditional trust challenge, which is trusting everyone to do one thing because you know that that's what they're going to do anyway, which is everybody at any given moment is doing the best they know how to get what they want in that moment. When you have that trust in people, then you're never disappointed again because you already know that's what they're doing. Those first two are about opening your heart. It's about how you are in relationship with others. The second part is called freeing your mind. The first premise under freeing your mind is to get your language right, because so often we use disempowering language. We say things like, I have to do this, when really you want to do it. You don't have to do anything but one thing, and that's one day we're no longer going to be breathing, right? We're going to pass away. That's the only thing I know that we have to do. The rest of the stuff is what we choose. And if you choose it, you want to do it for some reason. So it's important to get in touch with the reason why you're doing things so that you never have to do anything again. The other thing under freeing your mind is about recognizing what neurologists have been telling us, which is that our minds are hardwired for negativity. There's a good reason for that. It has to do with survival, and we don't want to lose that ability but we might want to have some alternate programming that allows us to look at everything that's great in our life in terms of maybe mindfulness or a gratitude practice. And then the third part is about transforming your life. It has to do with the role of emotions in our life. From my perspective with mental freedom, emotions serve two purposes. One is as a signal to let us know that something's not right. We're not getting what we want in that moment. These are painful emotions that I'm talking about. And then once we register that we're not getting what we want, sometimes we maintain that painful emotion because we think it's the best way to get what we want. Recognizing that's what we're doing and critically evaluating whether that's the best way to get it. And then the last one is my point about the GLOW, which is an acronym that stands for GIFTS, lessons, opportunities, and wisdom, which I believe come from every painful experience that we have. So whenever there's pain, there's equal positivity. We just have to first know it's there and second, know how to farm for that or mine for that. And that's looking for what are the gifts? What are the lessons? What are the opportunities? And what is the wisdom? And the wisdom means how have I been changed by this in a positive way? Those are the lessons of mental freedom. Thank you very much for summarizing them so powerfully. When I asked you about that, the reason that I did so is because understanding those six tenets are so easily integrated into leadership and in supervision because we can understand who we're working with from those perspectives, but then we can also help the person that we're working with to understand where are you coming from? Where are you stumbling? And so I think the This goes back to the teacher part, I guess, because the educational part of leadership and supervision is a piece that we can use to help someone grow. And to start with something like that as a foundation for self and other understanding gives a jumping off point to say, where are we at? 
that are we doing? It's a self-evaluation tool, actually. All of those things that you said, where are you at? And especially that piece of the hardwired to recognize the dissonance, to be able to talk about that, because we struggle with that. Say the majority of people that I know want to do well. They want to feel good about themselves. And that painful perception often is a stumbling block. So this comes to the teacher point, and I appreciate that you were willing to talk about that because I think that that's really good information for your listeners to know and maybe to investigate further. Thank you so much for pointing out how you're using mental freedom in your work. That's just so wonderful. You were one of my beta group members, and I'm just really happy that it meant enough to you that you're using it. So thank you for that. Absolutely. I will say in particular, the glow piece of that, because you can just take that and turn things around so quickly because it goes to what is it that you want to get out of any situation. It's really a powerful tool. Thank you. I feel like I want to say it's not that you get to pick the thing that's painful. If you could pick that to be erased and never happen, you would do that, but you don't get to choose that. All you get to choose is how you respond to that. And you can respond with more pain and negativity and emotional distress and trauma, or you can find the glow, which I I have found to be really powerful as well, not just in my own life, but in the lives of my clients. So thank you for that. I do want to say, though, that I also think it's important, and you mentioned this, to recognize when there's an emotional moment and to give that moment or that thing the time that it needs for grieving, for example, to respect that. That's not just a shortcut to forget about it. Don't even focus on the painful perception, (laughs) but recognize it, acknowledge it, allow yourself to experience it. But when you're ready to move, that's where the glow comes in that can help you transition into the next step. I wouldn't want any of our listeners to think that we're saying, well, you can't just think that. You just must think happy. (laughs) Yeah, that doesn't work. Timing is everything when you're working with the glow, for sure. I wonder if you could tell us about how to get a hold of that book of yours on couples counseling. It's available any place you buy books. There's there's used copies out there. There's new copies. It's an interesting book in the sense that it takes choice theory and specifically Glasser's work with couples and has a lot of different scenarios, of different types of couples, and how you're able to use choice theory and reality therapy as a process to help deal with some of the situations that couples face. So Amazon, eBay, wherever you find your books, you should be able to find it. Thank you for mentioning it. I just want to say in general, for people who are interested in learning more about choice theory and reality therapy, go to the Glasser website and you can find out more information there. There's a journal. And then there's also your website where they can find out more about mental freedom and all the things that you're doing. Really, all of these ideas are very transformative. I will put those links in the show notes. Do you have anything that's coming up that you'd like to tell the audience about that they could get involved in? I'm very excited because I'm making a big shift in my job at the university. I'm stepping down from the chair position. I really enjoy doing that, but I'm going back to being faculty and teaching. So that's really exciting. I'm looking forward to that. But the other big move in my life is that I've taken a coaching training and I'm looking forward to getting my coaching credentials and starting to do coaching. And to me, this is perfect direction for the way I believe in the way that I work, even as a counselor. I'm very much of an optimistic, forward-looking kind of a person. And so that's my next big act. Going back to teaching, and I'm super excited to do that. And then uh, moving into coaching, that's on the agenda. 
All right. So if people wanted to get a hold of you for further information or even to hire you as a coach, what would they need to do? They can reach me at my Gmail address, which is patrobey, P-A-T-R-O-B-E-Y at gmail.com. And I'd be happy to hear from anybody and look forward to the opportunity of making some connections. Excellent. Thank you so much. One other question. Are you considering counseling supervision? Is that something that you would do? Oh, yes. I'm wide open for that. So that would be a possibility as well. Okay. In fact, let me just say this. My doctorate is in counselor education and supervision. So I have the the background. I've been doing it for years and years, like you mentioned when we started this conversation. And I really enjoy supervision. I love the energy around working through the cases. So I would love to do that. Okay. Thank you so much. I'm excited that you are willing to come on the call and talk to me today about this high level of excellent supervision that I'm certain will help leaders everywhere who are working on a coaching style of leadership. I really thank you for taking the time. My pleasure. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast and remember to leave a review and share with your connections on social media. I also hope you'll join me next week when I will be interviewing another fantastic leader to share some of their leadership tips. I'm looking forward to it. Talk with you then. This has been another thought-provoking episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life. To listen to past episodes, please visit our website at lifeequalschoices.com or listen wherever you download your podcast. And don't forget, remember to subscribe.